Well, yeah, tonight finishing our series, Jesus, um, Stories with Luke. And Marty's going to, I'm going to tag team with Marty. <laughs> so that'll be exciting. And uh, looking at the parable of the shrewd manager. Last week we looked at the parable of the rich fool and I th- gave you an exercise to do during the week. hope you've done that. And I offered you a million dollars to go and spend on yourself and just think through what the effects of that would be and we were talking last week about how wealth without generosity elevates, accelerates, self-focuses and isolates us. So it's very important that we're radically generous with our wealth uh, and uh, otherwise our hearts will be sucked in really by the power of, of wealth. So that's what we looked at last week. Anyone do the exercise? Oh, great. How was it? Yeah. <laughs> that's good. Um, okay, good. All right. You saw it on Facebook and did it. Well done. See, Facebook, it works. It's good. Okay, all right. Uh, that's not good sorry wealth with generosity and with humour as well thank you be good Um, so we're coming to the end of this series how good is Jesus and his teaching but tonight the shrewd manager right shrewd manager and um, probably Jesus' strangest parable (laughs) Luke 16 1 to 9 it uh, puts a lot of people off. It's confused uh, Christians for millennia. It's puzzling. It's strange. It's weird. It's everything. And it's my favourite parable. So get ready. Um, and because of its unique nature, I thought I'd ask my osteopath, Dan, Dr. Dan, what the parable means. And so I saw him on Friday and he... Um, he was great. Dan Hurley. Anyone else go and see Dan? I know Deb does. I know Earl does. Oh, Michael, Rowan. Who else? Andy. Anyone who runs, by the way, should see Dan Hurley. Genius. Genius. And he's full of the spirit, right? He's, he's one of those amazing guys. So I said, okay, Dan, what does the parable of the shrewd manager mean? And he said, it means, for me, it means that I run my business in a way that blesses other businesses around me. I run my business in a way that blesses other businesses. And then he proceeded to tell me exactly how he did that, the nuts and bolts of how he set up his business, thought about his business, structured his business so that other businesses were blessed through him. And then he told me the future that he was hoping for that would bless even more people through his business. So I thought, yep, that is so cool. Dan, you are the man. Uh, so if you're wanting to know, if you're confused at the end of tonight, go and talk to Dan. He's the guy. Um, okay, I want to read Luke 16, 1 to 9. And then I'm going to ask you some questions as we've been doing. Jesus told his disciples there was a, a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager anymore. 
The manager said to himself, What shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each of his master's debtors. He asked the first, How much do you owe my master? 3,000 litres of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, Take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 1,500. Then he asked the second, And how much do you owe? 30 tonnes of wheat, he replied. He told him, Take your bill and make it 24. The master commended his dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it's gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. I love this parable. (laughs) Let's begin with a couple obvious questions. What's odd or strange about this parable? (laughs) Hey? It's fraud. Okay? So the manager is dishonest. He's guilty of fraud. Yeah? What else? He is commended for it. He's commended for it. Wow. What else? <laughs> exact. Okay, his master, who he's defrauding, commends him for being so shrewd. What's going on here? He should have been angry at him, right? What else is strange about this parable? What do you reckon, Jesse? <laughs> I think what's so strange is that Jesus then uses this <laughs> this crooked crooked manager as an example for us. So, by the way, um, if you were a farmer in those days, and to pay your rent to the landowner, so if you were renting land to grow crops, you'd pay your rent to your the landowner through a proportion of your crops. So it was the manager's job to collect the rent of, from these farmers and he, so he collect a proportion of their crop. And, and what's been happening is that the manager has been using that money wrongly, wasting the money, lining his own pockets. And so we know a little bit about this master, this rich landowner, that he cares enough to fire this corrupt manager who's skimming off him. Okay, What are the crooked manager's problems now that he's been fired? In verses 3 and 4. He's basically been told the ancient version of clean out your desk, right? So he makes a list. What's what's his problem now that he's been fired? No prospects. What does he say? Too Too old, yeah. Too proud to beg. Uh, He won't... He can't dig, so perhaps he is too old to dig. And so he has no prospects. He will be unemployed. Uh, He'll be out on the streets because he lacks now the goodwill of the community. Who's going to hire him as a manager 
now that he's lost his good reputation. Everyone knows he's a crook. Who's going to hire him now? So he's in big trouble. He's trapped. So the manager comes up with a clever plan, secondly. Um, and the way that Jesus tells this is just, just delightful, you know. <laughs> it's just great storytelling. So the man says, I know what I'll do so that I'll be welcomed into houses after I'm sacked. Uh, but he doesn't tell us what he's going to do and he doesn't tell us why it's going to work. So we're on the edge of our seats. You know, what is this manager going to do? Now, a first century audience would have understood perfectly what happens next, but we probably don't understand it. <laughs> so I'm going to try and get us into the mindset of the first century audience that Jesus is talking to. Look at what this manager does. His plan begins to take shape. He only has a few minutes. He only has like one or two hours to act because the master has dis dismissed him, but people don't know that the man has been dismissed. So he has a little window of opportunity before people find out that he's been sacked, right? The master also tells him to bring back the books. So he's going to use that to his advantage. And so he calls in the farmers, these tenant farmers. How does he create the image with the farmers that he's still in authority, that he hasn't been fired? How does he create that illusion? Have a look. How much do you owe my master? So still calling him my master. Yeah. Right, he summons them. Yeah, calls them. He gives the illusion he's still got power. You know, he's still holding the books. So, yeah, the whole tone, the whole way he does it. He's deceitful, but he's very clever, right? He's shrewd, he's savvy. Now, does he bring all of them in at once in verse 5? Sorry, I'm getting you to read the actual text tonight, so... <laughs> Won't be too many of these questions. No, he doesn't, I don't think. Um, he doesn't, I don't think, want them to talk to each other. And so I think the it depends on how you translate this, but the implication is they come in one at a time. So I think, he, again, he's being shrewd. He, he wants to isolate them from each other and control the environment. He doesn't want them talking to each other and he wants um, to discount some more than others so that he gets more favour from some more than others. So he, he gives them different levels of discount. You know, do you see that? So the percentage varies. So everything he's doing is clever. It's shrewd. So he calls them in separately and does different deals. Now, how can you tell that he's in a hurry? Okay, he, it's very fast. Sit down quickly, he says. Quickly do this. There's no mention of any greeting here. It's just bam. Also, there's one little thing he does. So usually when you are giving, um, you've got an account for a client, you will write paid on it, right? You'll write paid in full or whatever it is, or part paid, whatever it is. But he gets the clients to write in their own hand what they, what they still owe, right? So again, why is he doing that? I might come back to that, but he, again, he's being very shrewd. 
I don't want to give it away yet. Okay, so what is the, what is the manager doing? You know, what's going on here? Won't this backfire on him and he'll get even in more trouble? His reputation will be even more ruined, right? What's going on? What's he doing? He's winning favour, right? He's cancelling people's debts so that they will befriend him. Yeah, he might be by getting them. Okay, perhaps that's the reason. Hmm. Yeah. 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 I must. Have, yeah, I thought about a lot about that, but I, I, I don't. I'm not sure there's any implication of that uh, in the text, um, and I think we'll see that as we go a bit. That I think you know, just the way he sets it up as if he's in authority, and he he cancels their debt. I think they would have assumed that the master was authorizing him to do that, actually, uh, and we'll, we'll we'll see that as we go. Um, yeah, but but you know, why? Okay, he's, he's crediting a favour to himself, isn't he? By being generous to these other people, using the master's money. But surely the master, when he finds out, will send him to jail, right? He's lost the master's favour, but won't he now be thrown in prison? I mean, won't, won't it even make the shrewd manager's reputation even worse? I mean, how's it going to work? Where's it working? Yeah, sorry. Yeah, right. Yeah, but when the when the people find out that the the um, the reduction in their in their rent is not good, it won't work. They'll know he's a crook. They'll know that he's not going to pay them the money. Right, so it won't won't work. So this is the the real question of this parable. Um, isn't he stealing his master's money? Won't that be brought to light when the master finds out? And won't the people not get their money? So it backfires. Okay? <laughs> now let me help you out here. Uh, this is a village. And in the first century, they would have known what this shrewd manager was doing. Their world was in community. And word is getting out that that people are getting reduced, their debts are being reduced radically by this master, this rich landowner. So the word's getting out. Uh, and so the whole village, just in the way that Middle Eastern cultures work, the whole village is finding out about it. And they're, they're celebrating. You know, someone's getting out the fatted calf. You know, the, a party no doubt will ensue because this is great news that all these people, these farmers in this village, their debt's being halved, their debt's being massively reduced. So the impact of what this master did would have been to cause a great celebration in the community. And so therefore, what would happen if the wealthy landowner would turn around and say, no, we're not doing this, right? What would happen? They'd hate him. Like, so, so what's happening really essentially here is that the shrewd manager is trapping his master in his master's own generosity. Does that make sense? 
In other words, he's created a scenario where the wealthy master can't back down. (laughs) Because it'll ruin his reputation to back down from what his manager has done. And I think you can just hear, you know, the people listening to Jesus, well, a smile coming across their face. And even in the parable, you can hear the master kind of chuckling to himself when he realises what the shrewd manager has done. So Kenneth Bailey, um, so I'm getting a lot of this Middle Eastern historic background and thinking from Kenneth Bailey, who wrote this book, Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes. And he says, the master looks at the books his dishonest manager has just given him and realises what his manager has done. He hears the celebration beginning in the village that he, the master, is the most noble man who ever lived. Preparation for the feast in his honour have begun. You can hear the cheering of the village and see a smile creep over the master's face. The guy outsmarted me. You can see Jesus' audience begin to exchange knowing glances as they slowly figure out the clever plan of the manager. I think that's pretty good it's the best thing i've ever heard really with this parable so we can see just how shrewd this shrewd manager was he had only two resources firstly he had an hour or two of time and secondly he had a unique insight into the generosity of his master he risked everything on the quality of mercy that he's seen in his master i love this he had a pretty good idea that his master would go along with this and would back him up. And, he isn't, and isn't that exactly what the lost son did in the parable of the prodigal son, right? He risked everything on the quality of his father's generosity and came home to his father. And this parable follows directly after the, the parable of the prodigal son. Two fathers who were generous... Two people who bank everything on the generosity of, well, not two fathers, a father and a a master who are generous and people are banking on their generosity. So I think that's what's going on here. And the master's response in verse 8, he turns to the manager and says, yeah, you're a pretty shrewd guy. (laughs) Well done, you know. You're a pretty shrewd guy. He risked everything on his master's generosity and won. And so he's praised in verse 8 for knowing where his salvation lay. It's in the goodwill of his master. And he played to that. He helped that happen. He, He did something that was really encouraging his master in that direction as well. So he's shrewd with that. So he's praised for his shrewdness what he did, not for his dishonesty. Alrighty, we'll have questions a bit later, but two, two uh, implications for us tonight. Um, Jesus says in verse 8, for the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it's gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. So if this is a timeline, uh, we have a chart here and we've got the manager's working life, then he's fired, but then there's this period of time 
before his books are handed in. And in this period of time, there's an opportunity, he seizes that opportunity to cancel some of the debts of the farmers. Right? And then his retirement or when he's on his own. So that's the, that's the way it flows. And what Jesus is saying is he leveraged his assets. Um, he leveraged the, the authority he had. He leveraged the generosity of his master. And with that, he secured a future for himself. Right? So in this period, he acted shrewdly, he acted quickly to enrich and secure his future. And Jesus is saying, we ought to think about our lives in the same way. Now if we go to the next one. Our, yeah, back, our life now is like the manager's life, says Jesus. We're facing a death and that's like the books being handed back. And then there's an afterlife, there's an eternity after that. And Jesus is saying we ought to be leveraging our assets. We are managers of God's kingdom. We are entrusted with authority. We are given wealth by God. It's, it's his wealth. He's given it to us to use for him, for his purposes. Uh, we are managers under his authority. But we do have authority as managers and we have assets, we have prayer, we have the gospel, we have our wealth, our time, our gifts, our resources, right? We have assets and we have the asset of a father in heaven who's incredibly generous. And Jesus is saying we need to use those assets wisely, shrewdly, cleverly. We need to be savvy. You know, the people of, of light are just not savvy enough in the way they use what they've been given to create a future for themselves. We ought to be as shrewd as the world is shrewd, as people of the world, says Jesus. And we ought to leverage what we have and our opportunities now to secure or to enrich a future for us in eternity. So this is about asset transfer. This is, you know, we're managing assets. Let's maximise what we do with those to transfer what we can to the future. Um, so what we do now, in other words, the same, it's the same in the rich man and Lazarus. Uh, Jesus is calling us to live in the light of eternity. Um, we, are, we think too much that this life is, is, is not connected to eternity. Jesus said, no, it is. What we do now will impact the future. What we'll do, we do now will create a rich reward for us or not. Um, so be clever and be self-interested and enlightened self-interest so that you receive as much as you can in this next life. How we live will pay off in eternity because we're managers of God's kingdom. Um, so if we are generous with our wealth and our time and our resources uh, and we, we bring a blessing to other people, uh, and if we try to, to think through how we can maximise that blessing, then we will maximise the rich welcome we'll have into eternal dwellings. We'll have a great impact in this life, but many of those people we impact will be part of the next life, and when, we're, when we go there, we will be welcomed in. 
richly and warmly by those people that we've impacted. Um, there'll be a rich and wonderful reunion <laughs> of everyone that we have loved and reached out to and had over for dinner and, and helped when they were in need. They'll be there welcoming us in to eternity. It'll be a rich, wonderful welcome. So this isn't kind of crass in the sense of are we buying friends, you know. Uh, this is just the structure of the kingdom of God that, that our generosity creates community. I mean, if I give somebody a gift and they're thankful for it, what I've done there is I've created a small community of love with them. Haven't I? I've started to build a friendship. I've started to build a community of love. I mean, if we're, it's just the way the world is, the way God's kingdom works. If I'm driving um, in my lane and there's someone in the other lane who wants to pull in in front of me and I'm driving fast and he's waiting for me to slow down to let him in, his blinker's on. If I slow down and let that guy in, he looks back and waves at me and I nod. And what I've done there is I've created a little, com- a, a little mini community of love, right? Our acts of generosity are constantly making friends, constantly building relationships. That's just the, it's not crass, it's not like buying friends. It's just the way the kingdom of God works. Generosity creates community. And the more generous we are, the more friends, the more community we build, the richer the welcome will be of us into eternal dwellings. Jesus says the same kind of thing to his disciples in Luke 12.33. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out a treasure in heaven that will never fail. You're storing up treasure in heaven in the way you use your possessions now if you use them to care for the poor. Luke 14, similarly, the parable of the great banquet. He tells them to go out and invite the poor because all these rich people that you're inviting, they're just going to ask you back. And what reward in heaven are you going to get? But if you go out on the streets and invite the lame and the crippled and the poor to your dinner, you will have a great reward in heaven. Because we're creating this, through our generosity, a community of love which will pay dividends for us in the future. Those people we've loved will welcome us in on that final day. And it's going to be just amazing. I guess another dimension of this is not only do we create community through our generosity, but we're showing people the heart of God. We're showing his generosity. Um, that's what we're doing. You know, we're, we're, we're showing how good God is. You know, we're, we, through our love, we're showing God's love through us. And so this is the message we're communicated through radical generosity. And this is what the manager is doing in the parable. He's telling people that the master has erased their debts. In other words, he's revealing the master's generosity to people. See how it works? So the master is making the manager is making the master look good. So we have been put as managers, just as Israel was were made the managers of God's kingdom and then warned that if they didn't shape up, the tree would be cut down within a year. Jesus said that in Luke 13. You're out of here. 
And I think there are echoes of that in this parable, sacking of this manager. I think we too need to take heed to that. On the other hand, if we are wonderfully generous with our wealth, we will reveal God and his glory, his goodness. So, in other words, our role, our ro- the reason we're given wealth, the reason we're given authority, the reason we're even included in the kingdom of God, this is the very heart of it all, is to leverage that so that people can see the grace of God. Right? That's why we have been given what we're given. And we, let, we, we show people the grace of God through our generosity. So that's the aim. And we do to do that shrewdly. I love how Isaac... Um, you're getting a lot of play in these talks from Marty and I. Uh, Isaac, um, at the bunker uh, after church, we, we go there and a lot of us have drinks and so on and chips and whatever else. Isaac sometimes pays the whole bill, you know. Uh, unbeknownst to us, he just goes to the thing and pays it and then leaves and when we go to, to pay it, oh, your friend paid for you already. Well, we pay for everyone. Like, paid like $90, $100, I don't know. How much do you pay uh, in that? He's paid the whole thing, right? Paid the whole bill and then apparently Libby and Ali and, and Greg and, and Hadley have been doing the same sort of thing. See? See how... Sh- that's good value. Is that true? No, you never. Okay. That's not good. So we see how see how that's the shrewd manager. He's managing his assets to reveal the generosity of God to the staff at the bunker and to each of us. But he's doing it cleverly, you know, he's thinking about it. This isn't just a game. It's like, oh it just happened. No, it's in, it's an intentional act thought through that is breaking into people's lives. A radical act of generosity which is revealing the generosity of God. And the fact that we keep doing that and they keep experiencing that means they keep seeing this. So what Jesus is saying is we have not been made managers of the household of God for no reason. And, you know, sure he can get rid of us if we're not going to do this. We've been given that management position so that we can be generous with it to reveal the generosity of God and that means we need to be shrewd. So the first point that Jesus is making is that we ought to think like the shrewd manager. Maximise our assets. Maximise our assets. Do it from enlightened self-interest. Your future will be better if you do this. Your welcome into, the king, into heaven will be better if you do this. So do it for enlightened self-interest. There's nothing wrong with that. It's going to be good for us. Be motivated by that. Be shrewd like people in the world are shrewd. Realise you're going to get a better outcome for you in the, in the world to come. And be shrewd in the, in the, in the, in the fact that you're think, thinking through how to bless other people. So it's good for you, but it's good for other people. And be shrewd in the way you, you're thinking through, how is this going to look good for God? <laughs> how are people going to see the, the grace and generosity of God through what you're doing? So it's a win-win-win. <laughs> the village wins, the manager wins, and God wins. And it happens because the guy is a very clever guy and Jesus is saying, 
you ought to be like that too. And the second point, just very briefly, is he risks everything, he gambles everything on the generosity of his master, which is kind of cool, really cool. I love this. He banks everything on the grace of his master. The, the manager's gamble only works because the master is generous enough and rich enough to cover it. And I think he knows his master well enough to be pretty confident his master will come through for him. So this means where to take risks in doing what I've just talked about. To, to use our money to impact people radically and generously so that God will be known through that act. We are to step out in faith to do that, knowing that God will cover us, that he'll back us, and that he will be there looking after us in that. He'll come to the party. So we can be bold, we can be daring like this shrewd manager in all kinds of ways. And now Marty's going to talk about how. Um, knowing that God's going to be there for us and back us. And Jesus did this. Jesus is the shrewd manager. This is the gospel. Jesus was a shrewd manager for us in that he presumed on his father's generosity. He risked everything to forgive our debts and he did it for the rich welcome he would receive in eternity. Hebrews 2 verse 12. He endured the cross for the joy set before him, the joy of his bride, the people he was creating. And we are called to do likewise. I want to get Marty up and uh, to bring this home to reality. And then we might answer questions if there's time. Awesome wearing this thing. So natural and comfortable. I have felt really challenged in these um, talks in Luke to think about, particularly because I've given some, to think about what I'm actually going to, yeah, <laughs> um, to think about what I'm actually going to do. And I'd like to ask you, what are you actually going to do this week? Um, because a number of times I've given talks, I gave the talk about, like, um, I remember I gave the talk about the good, uh, the good Samaritan, about how Jesus asks us to put our needy neighbour at the centre. And before I gave that talk, I thought, I can't give this talk and not do something about it. And so I went on the Springwood, and I, I don't know if you remember that guy, Michael, who thought I was an, he thought he was an angel and all of that. And so I've, over the weeks that I, we've had these talks, I've kept thinking, am I actually going to do what Jesus said? And each time I hear a talk, I feel motivated, but I also feel like it's been like being handed a bomb that you've got to do something with it and if you don't do something with it, it's not going to be good. And I believe that spiritually. So I wanted to ask, um, I wanted to give a couple of examples, really a few examples of practical things of money that people use money to be radically generous from Luke's gospel and then maybe we could talk about what, what we could actually do or what you will actually do this week. Um, the question I would like to ask is... Um, the question I'd like to ask is, what will I do to show outsiders? So the question is, what will I do this week? What will you? I'm saying I do, and it's for you to read. 
what will you do this week actually do with your money and then with the second thing, your time, because time is money, right? What will you do this week to show outsiders, not your missional community, that's important, but people who are outsiders, outside God's kingdom, that God is radically generous. See, the village knew that the, the, the rich man was rich, didn't they? Didn't they know he was rich? Because they were mostly in debt to him. But because of what the manager did, they discovered that he was generous and they had a party. How could you use your resources this week to throw a party for your neighbours that God will turn up to? I think sometimes our lives are a little bit like this. So here's Jesus. Actually, he's got to be looking this way. And that's funny if he's done that. So here's Jesus. That's not too bad. And here's us. And I think generally our lives, as, the, as we set them up in the West, work like this. We have me. We have my money. We have my work. We have my family. And there was one more. My house. And we create a world of comfort, security, purpose, and even adventure for ourselves and for our family. Would you agree with that? So we live in this little house that we've built for ourselves and our family. And we say, yes, the church is my family and yes, we should love our neighbours. But actually, what we actually do is the church is out here and our neighbours is out here, right? But really, we live in this little house in the West that we've built for ourselves, which is about my family and my work and my house and my money. And I think in lots of ways we don't follow our society and we think that you know our society believes in gay marriage and maybe we don't believe it, so we think we're not. But in this way, I think that we've wholeheartedly followed our society a lot of the time. And I think what Jesus is doing in Luke is he's inviting us into a higher life. And this is a doorway. This is the doorway into the life of being a son or daughter. It's being the kind of person who could see somebody healed. It's being the kind of person who would multiply one boy's lunch for 5,000 men and extra women and kids to eat. It's a higher life and it's what we're made for. And I think each of the things that Jesus has taught us in Luke is an invitation to actually do something. Each of the sermons, and tonight, I believe, um, is, is an open doorway. Does that make sense? It's a practical thing that Jesus is saying. It's important to know God as Father and to all the things we do and have missional community and all of the things. But this week, this teaching, tonight, is an open doorway for this week. And there's a power in hearing the word and doing it. And the question, I think, is will we sit or will we step into what Jesus is calling us to do? Now, here are some examples. I thought I'll give some examples of how we can show outsiders that our Father is generous from Luke. So, first one, there's a man who's a fitter and turner, and when he's 30, he leaves his work for three years to go and bless the poor with his missional community, heal and teach about God. Actually, he was a carpenter. I got the fitter and turner bit wrong, right? That's what he did. He, made, he left some stuff. And then his disciples, their first step in in doing this was that they left their jobs. And that's interesting as that was the doorway for them. And Jesus got them to leave their jobs by giving them a miraculous catch of fish, by showing them, step through the doorway, here is the life that's on offer. It's a different economy. It's risk, but it's different. The first thing for them was to leave their jobs, actually. 
lending to enemies without being expect without being uh, being without expecting to be paid back. So one practical thing: leave your job and go around for three years and focus on God's kingdom. Uh, two, give money to outsiders and don't expect that they're going to pay it back. Jesus says that in Luke six. Three. Take a very expensive thing of perfume that's worth like $500 to $1,000 and pour it out, right? Take what's most expensive to you and give it away, pour it out for the sake of God. That's a practical thing. Now, in Luke, I don't know where it is, 5, do you know who supported Jesus financially? He was a carpenter. He left his work to do this. Do you know who supported him to do it? Bruce? It was not just wealthy women. It was wealthy and probably not wealthy women. It was the women who did it. Isn't that amazing? They used their money so that Jesus and they followed him could go around teaching and healing and blessing people. And he did it pretty indiscriminately. Uh, The good Samaritan, he uses his money to care for a sick person and it's open-ended. He puts the guy in a in a, a place to live, a place to stay, and he says, when I come back, I'll pay the bill. Now, that could, I could have been there for two months. It was open-ended. He didn't know how much the tab was going to be, like when Isaac goes to pay. Okay? It's risk. But, he, but whatever the cost, he's going to cover it. I like this one. Banquet. Use your money to put on a banquet for those who can't repay you. Jesus says that in a number of occasions in these chapters. Use your money to put on a meal this week for people who will not be able to pay you back. The rich ruler, sell what you have and give the money straight to the poor. The widow's offering, she gives all she has. The widow's offering, use your money in a risky, costly way. That means you're going to have to depend on God because you've given up some of your money. So maybe, are they interesting? So maybe we could talk about ways that we could, this week, use our money and our time to show outsiders that our Father is generous. I'll give you one example uh, of what I tried to do. Um, last week, not, not the week that we've been in, but the week before that. Anyway, um, I get confused by that. Uh, anyway, last week um, I was in Springwood and I was, gonna, uh, I was coming home and I was hungry and it was 12 o'clock. And Mary, um, who's our neighbour with the Mudbrick house, her brother-in-law, Seth, has been working on her place. I knew he would be around, and I've had some conversations with him. And I made coffee with him for him, actually, one time. Uh, rather than have coffee myself, I thought, I'll make coffee, and I'll take it over. And so we had, And then I was in Springwood, it was 12 o'clock, and I was hungry, and I'm fairly frugal. So I thought, it's better for me, I'm just going to go home and have some lunch um, at home, because I'm frugal. But then I thought, no, but I really feel like a pork roll from the bakery, which was chilli, which I really like that, right? And I'm thinking, no, but... I, but, but just go home and it'll be right. And then I thought, why don't I buy myself a pork roll and I'll buy one for him? There was risk in that. Because I didn't ask him. I don't know if he likes pork rolls. It's just a, everyone likes pork rolls. It's a bit strange, right? It's a little bit weird. He's a really blokey bloke. Like he really is a big, tough guy. Um, he heard me singing and he said, you know, that, was that your singing? That sounds as S-H-I-T as Mary's singing. That's what he said to me. So I bought the pork rolls and I come back and I go to the front of the house where he's working. Have you had lunch yet? Do you want a pork roll? Yes, and we sit down and we eat a pork roll. 
And then we invited them for dinner on Friday. And we were going to invite Mary and everyone else. And Mary couldn't get come. So I said to him after the pork roll, I said, look, Mary, your sister-in-law can't come. So um, why don't we just put it off? And he said to me, what? Why does Mary have to come? (laughs) Meaning, why won't you just do it for me and my family? That's what I felt he was saying. And so we, we thought we did. And in the end, Mary came as well. But Poppy went out and bought two six-packs of like pale ale. Again, I'm frugal. But when, because he was coming, we bought expensive beer. Poppy bought expensive beer. And then when he turned up, do you know what he turned up with? They made some sort of salad. He helped his wife make custard. He bought some jam rolly sort of thing. And he bought a bottle of wine, which he left at our place. That was a good investment, right? One pork roll for custard, salad, jam roll, and a bottle of wine that it's at my house now. And I can enjoy tonight. I'm telling you, it's the kingdom of God. I'm telling you, it is. What could you do this week to show outsiders that God is generous? People know the church is rich, don't they? Don't they hate that about the church? All the sandstone buildings? But do they know the church is generous? Because we're always representing our Father, aren't we? People know that God is real. They know actually he's powerful. That's why they're annoyed with him. Why didn't you do this for me? But do they know he's generous? Do we show people, would our community say, wow, you know, I don't, didn't realise God was so generous. Okay, what are some thoughts? Is this okay, Dave? Okay, what are some thoughts? What could, what's a practical thing that you could do this week that would show an outsider that your father is generous? Time? What kind of thing is spending time? Like, what could you do this week? That's an excellent thing, but let's be tight in it. Okay? How could you do that? What would that look like? You're at the bunker. You're there having a coffee. But what if the person didn't know it was you? And what if they didn't realize you were a Christian from Soma? But, but see, isn't it interesting? Jesus fed 5,000 people. It didn't seem like he asked that question, right? What if they don't realize the theological, right? Shall we keep going? Let's keep going. Oh, beautiful. It's, this is a dangerous game, isn't it? Can you feel how dangerous this game is? Okay. Hmm. Yeah. 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 Yeah, sure, sure. I, I, I hope you don't feel like, Claire and Jeff, I hope you don't feel like <laughs> we're saying that none of us are doing this. I know that I've, I've already bought, for example, a, um, a pork roll <laughs> that cost me like five bucks. And I know they're doing a lot of stuff which is probably equal to what I did there. <laughs> yes, Poppy. But good point, Jackie. Jacqueline. Jack. Yeah. Mm. I feel like this cuts two ways. I really feel like we need to experience God as Father in order to be released into this kind of way of living. And, and we're all in process and we're all in different ways living this and trying to live more in, it, in the teaching of Jesus, right? Which is what Jack's point is. But I feel like the other point of it is that I do believe Jesus is inviting us to experience God as Father by taking the risk in little ways. Okay, let, let's keep going a bit with these practical things because that's really the point. 
Okay. 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 You could just say, I'm a Christian from Soma. Here's my seat. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Anyway, let's keep going. Come on. Lynn. Do you know what? With that one, being interested in your neighbor's kids would probably want, be one of the most powerful things, right? Because who's genuinely interested in their neighbor's kids usually, right? Any, any others before we finish? Can I suggest one? In these chapters of Luke that we've been looking at, time and time again, Jesus is saying, when you have a dinner party, don't invite people who will pay you back. And I personally have been challenged because I feel like, since understanding that, I feel like every single week in my MC, twice a week, (laughs) once on Sunday night and once with my MC, we're inviting people we like, actually, and enjoy hanging out with and who will pay us back. Tonight it's potluck, but usually it's someone else, right? And then they'll, right? One thing I think is the, the simplest thing would be to invite outsiders for dinner at our house. Well, we don't have to start with dinner. You know, it could be a pork roll and, and then a cup of coffee, you know? Jesus, we thank you for um, your words in Luke and the teaching and... Um, we do want to step up into what you have for us and we know that it's only by the power of your spirit. We know that we need to do it together. But we do want to make ourselves available to you and we do ask that by your spirit that you would speak to each of us so that it's not someone else telling us what to do. It's not someone else who doesn't understand our situation putting something heavy on us. But it's your own spirit within us. It's the spirit of, of the Father who who who... who is, is inviting us uh, practically. I pray that each of us would be able to hear what you are saying this week and we would have stories to tell next week about what we've experienced with you. We pray that you would lead us, Jesus, um, and help us to help each other. In Jesus' name, amen.